2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike
3: Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
4: Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for stopping by. We'll be taking the good gardening stroll shortly, but right now if you have any questions, concerns, or comments about your frozen plants outside or maybe some inside that are too close to the window and they're freezing too, Anyway, three, one, four, four, three, six, seven, nine hundred or one eight hundred, nine two, five, eleven, twenty. Mr. Kelly. Yo. How are you enjoying the cold weather? I'm not. You're on the bluffs and everything. <laughs> I you know, it, it's uh, I just stay
5: inside a lot. You know, don't get out a whole lot. Now, you look like it's springtime walking in here. You got shorts on again? Yes. Yeah, he's got shorts on. Did you have your sandals this morning? No, I
4: wore regular shoes and socks.
5: Okay, well, that, you know, (laughs) how are you handling it?
4: Well, you know, when the, you know, I walk a couple times a day and Mm -hmm. when the temperatures are in the single digits, I blow it off. I just stay inside, I wimp out. I'm a, I'm a I There's
5: can't. a point where you just have to say, "All right, you win, Mother Nature." Right. I'm I'm going to take today <laughs> off, and it is it's all about layering. The problem is, like, I got this shirt on here. This is a blues, and it's so warm. It feels great when you're outside, but then if you're inside, you you start sweating.
6: <laughs> like the week
5: the weekend I was in Minnesota, I either was freezing or sweating the whole time. There's no in between, you know. So it's it's kind of a hassle, but you know, you deal with it. Speaking of that Minnesota
4: situation mm-hmm. did you drive up there or fly? No we flew Oh did you
5: Yeah wow yeah because we you know that time this time of year you're not sure about the weather
4: exactly
5: and so we decided to fly and uh, that was fine except that the way back a couple flights got canceled and you know it was actually the way there it worked out really well because our flight was supposed to leave at six and we got the notification right as we were going to bed the night before that it had been delayed an hour. Oh I was like, okay, well that's good. I like that. That's a good delay. Now the way back, we got a couple of, we ended up being about 4 hours late getting oh. back. But you know, you just got to you plan for it. You sure. just it's like going to a doctor's office. You can't be in a hurry.
4: Yeah, with it's, so many cancellations yeah. it's
5: really yeah.
4: scary. Just got
5: to be patient and not, you know, and just take it as it comes. Right. Yeah.
4: Oh great. Good to see you.
5: Good to see you. Welcome back.
4: Thank you. Yes, last Saturday I wasn't able to come in. I didn't have covid or anything. But I just had what I thought was going to be a cold, and that's what it was. So for about uh, seven or eight days, lots of coughing, and lots of sneezing, lots of all that other stuff. But anyway, enough of that stuff. (laughs) Well, on Saturday, we get together and have a discussion about what's impacting your landscape or your houseplants or what should you be thinking about this time of year. And uh, Do you need to get out there when the ground is frozen and try to do anything? Nope. Stay out of there. Don't be shoveling around in the ground that's frozen. And uh, how about pruning and things like that? Are there going to be any kind of diseases and bugs you should be thinking or watching for? Uh, use the information that I'm going to share with you, and hopefully it will help you orchestrate this and solidify your options. Of course, with the final judgment of the action you're going to take, going to be on your shoulders. And this is your show, and I certainly appreciate you inviting me into your home car or wherever you happen to be listening. Another important player is James. He's producing today. So when you call, he just needs your first name and uh, then he doesn't need to know the, what you're calling about or anything else because uh, you could care less. No, he really does care, but uh, it's too complicated to try to get it over to me. So I'll just wait until I talk to you and then we'll go from there. I'm Mike Miller, by the way. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994, and I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation if you'd like for me to. Do a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com, on the homepage. There is an email address and phone number where I can be reached. A couple of people have contacted me about doing a walk and talk in their home. I haven't gotten back in touch with them. Sorry, we've had some complications in our life. And uh, ugh, sometimes, besides me having the cold and other things, things sometimes just gets really crazy. A quagmire of life. But anyway... Let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. 636-861-3344. A heartbeat southward of downtown. A converted gas station becomes Soulard Station. A meeting place inside, outdoors interesting landscape. The walkway sweeps around from the sidewalk along the street. A Casilli Urn sits there. A sign tells the story of this particular building at 1911 South 12th Street. It's circa 1930. Wow. And there's some really unique things there besides a cassilli urn. There's a metal praying mantis looking up southward. Actually, I guess it's northwards toward downtown. There's boulders and benches, and there's three conical Christmas tree decorations which blend in with the deciduous and evergreen trees and shrubs, a bird bath and water feature. Well, they say we're not doing much right now. It's winter time, so we're kind of turned off. And uh, there's thinking also, whatever happened to global warming? This is a January day, and it is still really, really cold, super cold. Anyway, there's a wrought iron fence around the back, which encloses that area, and this unique structure. And the historic neighborhood of Soulard is really kind of a just a. even though most of the buildings in Soulard are way older than this building, it just adds kind of a nice touch to it as you're coming from downtown where uh, Tucker becomes Tucker and uh, all kinds of other stuff goes on as well. So if you do have any questions, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions and or comments.
2: Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. News. Talk. Sports. The voice of St.
4: Louis. KMOX. Rock on. 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. You hear me and I keep pushing on the soil testing thing. But this is the ideal time to have your soil tested. That way, that gives you a chance to get the results back from the University of Missouri or if you take it to a private laboratory to get the soil test done. You can get the amendments added according to the soil test to your ground. That way, your plant material will go, whoa, this is really making a huge difference. So get it done now. This is the perfect time to do it. And the University of Missouri, they – have an office in Kirkwood, and basically it's on Eastman Road. it's down by the train station. So you can take, you can drop off your samples there. I other places you can just, you know, contact. As far as there are some places in Belleville that do soil testing as well, and I'm not sure if the University of Missouri or University of Illinois does soil testing or not. But uh, or you could take it down if you want to to uh, Columbia. And you just drop it off. Their soil testing lab at the University of Missouri is in Mumford Hall, and that's in you know in Columbia, of course. There's also one. Uh, there's uh, other things that are not necessarily University of Missouri. There's a the Delta Soil Testing Lab that is at the University of Missouri, but it's in Portageville, Missouri. And then there's uh, the custom. Laboratory that's in Golden, which I don't know where Golden City, Missouri actually is. So, over in Illinois, there's Ingram Soil Testing Center that's in Athens. There is the SGS and that's in Belleville, that's on East Main. And there's another SGS on Toulon or in Toulon, Illinois as well. So, get those soil tests done and find out what's going on with your ground. And that way, if you do need to make some adjustments, You've Got plenty of time to get it done, so that's really kind of important. Uh, coming up soon, well, f- the soonest thing that's coming up is actually um, uh, Chinese New Year, that's going to be February 1st. So, if you're into you know, New Year's and you our New Year's is already past, you want to celebrate the Chinese New Year? Yes, why not. And also, right after that, it's going to be Valentine's Day. So just keep in mind, if you do give flowers for Valentine's Day, when you bring the flowers home, recut the stems and do it with a sharp scissors. And while you're holding the stem underneath water, that's the best way to do it. That extends the life and it will help preserve, you know, the quality of the Valentine's Day flowers. So... Valentine's Day is a very romantic type circumstance, so whether you, it doesn't matter what type of flowers you're giving, it's just a question of you know cutting the stems when as soon as you get them home, and a faucet of warm you know warm not cold you know it doesn't have to be super warm but warm water is the best thing to do, and then the vase that you're going to put them in, you want that vase to have colder water, so consequently. A little bit warmer water when you're making the cut. And then after that, the vase that the flowers are going to go into, have it with cold, colder water. So soil testing and Valentine's Day uh, and Chinese New Year. Wow. This time of year, you think there's not much going on, but there actually is. So let's go now to Riverview, Missouri, and see what's going on there. Hi, Riverview. <laughs> Hello, Hello, this is Mike Miller. Nope. Oh, Barb. Hi, Barb. Oh, hi, Mike. Sorry. Hi.
8: (laughs) I have an area with uh, bird feeders, and I I don't have any bushes or trees right around this area, and I would like to know what you recommend for specific bushes and small dwarf trees that would help attract the birds.
4: Well, the birds don't really need anything very specific, so they don't have to be right around the bird feeders. They're gonna go and land wherever they you know any kind of trees or shrubs in you know in location. I'll tell you one of the one of the trees that I have slash shrubs that the birds really enjoy is a mugo pine. Okay so I mean that's a, it's an evergreen. But the birds really the branching and everything. It's you know it's an older, mature one, so there's plenty of space for the birds to land, and then they you know then they go after the seed from that you know from that perspective. But uh, there's it's really a personal choice as much as anything. Now, don't plant anything really underneath the feeders because you know there's going to be you know some potentially problems as a result of doing that, and especially okay. if it's anything kind of ground cover or anything along that line. Uh, don't put them right underneath, and it just okay. because of all the debris from the seed.
8: Okay, I didn't know if there were specific bushes uh, or trees that would specifically attract.
4: No, it's just a branching the habit. They're really pretty the adaptable. Branch. They don't really care. It's okay, just, you know, I mean, you could even you put barberry if you wanted to, which has all kinds of thorns. I wouldn't do that. but uh, they're probably not going to come as much to that as they would to, uh, you know, other types of shrubs. But I'd pick the shrubs that you like, you know, personally, and, uh, you know, the tendency would be to do that. Or, you know, if you wanted, you know, let's say a a type of Japanese maple, something along that line that won't get too big, or a crab apple. Some other things, too, can offer, you know, some food for the birds as well as the bird seeds. So that's like what a crab apple could possibly do. Okay. All right. Well, thank you. Certainly. My pleasure. Thanks, Barb. And let's head now over to Dennis' Dennis's yard. Hi, Dennis. Hi.
9: Uh, I've got uh, peony bushes growing along the Ooh. And the ground...
4: I'm hearing a lot of static, and I'm not getting your question. Can you hear me now? Yes.
9: Okay. Uh, I have peony bushes growing on the west side of my house, and the ground, they grow the whole length of the side of the house, and the ground level.
4: It, the static keeps coming back in every time you, you know, say a few words.
9: All right. I'll have to call back later.
4: Okay. But if you're talking about the peonies and, uh, you know, just kind of in general, if they're really close to the house, that's, you know, that's not necessarily the best thing for them but it's okay, and uh, they're tough and durable. You said you had a long stretch of them along the west side of your house. As far as the amount of sun and everything else goes, they should be fine. Uh, you know, as long as it's, you know, if they're growing well and they're, you're happy with them, if you're worried about them elongating, because, and then when the flowers are opening up, the flowers get so heavy and they lean over, there's really not too much you can do about that. Genetically, all you can do is get, you know, that's how the development of a, let's say, a, a mechanism, if you want to call it that, or a support system called peony rings, you just put those over the peonies right as they start sprouting in the springtime, and then the peony will grow up through that, and that will keep it from laying over. But the weight of it, genetically, that's just what they do, and there's nothing that can be done to change that factor. So, And Dennis, yeah, you can give us a call back if you like. And now let's go to Linda's yard. Hi, Linda. Morning, Mike. How are you? Very good. How are you?
8: Sound a little congested, but we're glad you're back. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for returning. (laughs) So I have a question about an organic garden. We have a community garden at the library, and it's all supposed to be organic, so we follow that. And we grew Swiss chard up there, and, you know, you eat the leaves, so... We had I had never seen this happen before it got like a little small worm on it and it wasn't Swiss chard anymore It looked like swiss cheese just mm. you know ate it completely up so you know we wondered we have marigolds up there and i mean maybe they work a little bit but they really didn't work on this at all but we're wondering you know what kind of solution do we have to that problem in an organic garden with anything like lettuce. Well they didn't bother our lettuce last year. We didn't even try Swiss chard last year. This was year before. Mm-hmm. But what can you do to stop that? There was one thing I somebody told me about and I can't remember the name of some kind of a like, seashell stuff that you put on the garden and I don't I think that would be organic too. It was a white substance. I think I, I wrote it down somewhere it would stop things like that from coming through the soil. Do you know anything about that?
4: Well, this not these worms that are eating, let's say your chard or whatever it happens to be, doesn't necessarily mean that they came up from the soil. They could have been, uh, depending upon what kind of worm it is, an adult f- female could have flown in and laid onto the, laid her eggs on the leaf of the chard on the underside or something along that line. And then when they hatch, so it has nothing to do necessarily with the soil factor. Best thing you can do is just kind of, you know, monitor it and watch it closely. And, you know, as soon as you start seeing something, you know, that you look potentially is going to be an insect problem circumstance, either just wipe them off or I don't know how organic you want to be. Are you opposed to like uh, insecticidal soaps and things along that line?
8: Well, like, yeah, I guess that would be okay. I use it on my plants when I bring them in, you know, house plants and right. that. I didn't really think about that. Yeah, insecticidal soap maybe would work. We'd like to try it up there again, you know, because it, the chard was growing really well. Right. You know, kind of like it in California, but
4: <laughs>
8: it was Swiss cheese. But <laughs> yeah, insecticidal soap might might work and then i guess that would just when you harvest it it would just wash off it wouldn't be
4: harmful right exactly so oh that's, that's a good yeah and i mean okay. now basically for it to be the most effective you're going to have to monitor it kind of closely and as soon as you see any kind of worm or any kind of insect at all just spray it right onto you know onto the insect you can use it okay. as a preventative but it's better off as a contact killer
8: right and we could go up there, it's just right up the street, so we could go up there every day and kind of check on it and just, yeah, get a handle on it before it goes crazy. Right,
4: and if you can remember when you started seeing, the, you know, these particular worms that were problematic, I know it was two years ago, you know, what month and things like that. And so kind of monitor and watch things from that perspective at that particular time.
8: Okay. Yeah, that's insecticidal soap is a very good suggestion. Okay, well, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure.
4: And have
8: a great weekend.
4: You do the very same thing, and don't you know? Thank goodness, we're getting some warmth. <laughs> yeah,
8: for sure. Yeah, it looks pretty frozen out there this morning. <laughs> yes,
4: it was. <laughs> so, uh, Dennis, we're going to take you after we come back from uh, our break. Mike Miller, K and Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
1: Sunday, it's an NFL Divisional Round matchup, as the Chiefs host the Bills at Arrowhead. Hear the game here, pregame at 4, kickoff 5.30, on your home for Chiefs football. Touchdown, Kansas City! KMOX.
4: Yes, folks, we've got phone lines open if you have questions, concerns, or comments about your outdoors. How about the damage that's been done to, let's say, your early spring blooming forsythias or things like that, this cold weather? Should you be worried about that? And how could you find out maybe if there has been some damage? But right now, let's head over to Dennis's yard. Hi, Dennis.
9: Hi. Can you hear me this time? Yes. Okay. I'm back. I'm outside freezing in the cold. (laughs) Uh, I have these peonies on the west side of the house, and my question was that the ground level needs to be built up so that I get better slope and drainage away from the house. Okay. How do I deal with the peonies when I do that? Can I just leave them there and they'll come up, or do I need to dig those up, and when would be the best time to do this? I would like to take care of the ground level before spring rains start. Sure. But if I have to wait until next year, I guess, for the sake of the peonies, I mean, what, how do I deal with them?
4: Well, you can't. You've got to get the peonies out of there. So okay. if if you if they've been doing well and flowering and everything else, yeah, they, the eye of the peony has to be at a certain depth, and if it's, if you bury it too deep, that's going to interfere with the flowering process. So you got to dig up the whole clump and just you know dig them up. You you can you know where they are. You hopefully, yeah. or you can wait until the the foliage starts coming up and dig up the whole root system and then leave it sit above ground in a somewhat of a protected spot. And uh, the reason why you're doing that is because the root system, initially when it comes up out of the ground, is really brittle and you could do some damage. You could break it really easy. So you could put them in just in, I don't know how many you have, you can put them in paper bags and just put them, you know, in a somewhat of a protected spot up. Don't put them underneath the eave because you want to have some moisture get to them from the rain. But you can do this in, you know, basically in february so i mean just in a couple weeks and get it the ground
9: isn't froze i guess yeah
4: exactly you want to make sure the ground is not frozen but when you go to like garden centers and things like that they're going to start having peonies available you know in february march so if you can get it done as soon as you possibly can and then when you okay. and then improve the soil, make sure you got the grade you know correct and everything else, and then put them back in where the eyes, again, with the growing points, are only about an inch and a half or two inches below the surface. Any deeper than that, it could really disrupt the whole flowering you know, circle or cycle. Okay, Thank you.: Sure that helps.: Yeah, my pleasure. And yeah, peonies are great. You know, my mother had some along the west side of our house when I was growing up in Ellisville, and she got them from my great grandmother. And uh, I I don't know if they're still there or not, but uh, you know, my parents have have passed away and everything else. But anyway, peonies are, I think, are fantastic. You know, as far as flowers go. So good luck with that and thanks Dennis. and we do have phone lines open 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120 uh, your house plans? how are your poinsettias doing your poinsettias still looking pretty good and uh, how about your christmas cactus or your thanksgiving cactus well the cool temperatures are really important for the you know for the christmas and thanksgiving cactus so they probably are already finished flowering. If not, there may be some more flower buds, and uh, you know that are going to be forming. So, you know, put them in a location. that cool temperatures is really important. That's what triggers the flowering cycle for them. So, if they finish flowering, they're probably sometimes depending upon this, you know, the circumstance and where they are. It's a daylight length that really starts the flower bud formation. And that's why they flower the time of year, because they're native to South America. And consequently, that's when the situation is, you know, similar to us. They're only down there. It's going to be a little bit different as far as the time of year that it actually is. And when the the plants mature, the branches tend to arch downward, resulting in a very graceful appearance. And with age, the base of the stems will become thick and woody looking. So... You don't have to really do too much, you know, at all. Uh, If you try to lift them up or anything, you might do some damage to it. So just kind of leave them alone. And your poinsettia, just kind of keep that looking good as far as, you know, just realize that the the leaf color is going to be fading away and it's going to just be turning green, and there's Mm -hmm. nothing wrong with that. So so just with those type of seasonal flowers, you can go ahead and just— Take it easy. So unless we've got a caller coming in just in a few seconds. And uh, other things that you need to be thinking about, just the ground is cold right now. So consequently, there's not going to be any activity as far as worm movement go as, or as frozen, cold, whatever you want to call it. So that means mole activity is going to be minimal. So just don't worry about the mole activity, but just start watching for any kind of, let's say, big, not big, but mounds of just dirt that you can't, you know, you can't understand why those are happening. That means the moles are starting to dig this uh, more sub tunnels, not this tunnel that they're looking for the earthworms. But they're, let's say, creating a highway going from someplace in the yard back to their you know, den where they sleep or hibernate or whatever. Let's head now over to Bobby. Hi, Bobby. Hi, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. Um, I have a
8: question about a holly bush. I've got a, um, a good-sized holly bush, very healthy, out by my garage door, and it's just big. And I'm just wondering how or when would be a good, a good way to sort of trim it, cut it back or trim it. Just It's just kind of a little bit too big, kind of getting in the way.
0: <laughs> uh- <laughs>
4: If, you know, it all depends on your personal choice as much as anything. Uh, okay, you don't want to prune it necessarily going into winter time because of the potential damage as a result of the cold. Because the stems that you have cut off are just a little bit more tough and durable than the than let's say the new exposed tip tips that are now there. So once we're coming out of winter time, anytime. Uh, Let's say in February, you know, in let's say late February, early March, you can prune all the way up until I probably wouldn't prune much after, oh, uh, uh, let's say early to mid-May because then if it starts pushing out new growth, the new growth is going to be coming out in the heat of the summertime, and the new f- growth could be damaged as a result of the sun, you know, sunburn more or less. So oh, okay. early, you know, early spring. Up till uh, late spring, it would be an ideal time, and then again, you could do it in the fall as well. Okay, all right, sounds great. Yeah, early right. fall is you know by far the best as as opposed to some other time. Okay, all right, will do. Thanks, Max. Sure, week. thanks, Bobby. And three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. You know, I'm always talking about the weed circumstance and. You know, the pre emergence So we've got those pre emergence that are the cool season. No, we don't. The cool season ones are out there now, and they are so aggressive. I've got uh, some chickweed. <laughs> Unbelievable as far as how much it has grown. I, I have uh, some rock mulch around our house, and there's some chickweed that's gotten into there. And I, you know, I watch it pretty closely, but I I walked over there the other day when I was just, I was out in the yard fooling around doing something. And this chickweed was probably almost 15 to 18 inches in diameter as far as the big mass. So it was just like, and that happened within like probably seven days within a week or so. So it went from kind of just a small seedling, which I just usually go over there because it's rock mulch and I just kind of kick this stuff around. But this stuff is actually exploding. So just watch out for these cool season weeds. They were the ones that germinated last August. And consequently, you know, they just keep going and going and going. They could care less if it's, you know, seven degrees or wind chills or this, you know, below zero or anything else. But now what you need to do is if you've got other problems with The warm season annual weeds, things like spurge, purslane, knotweed, uh, lamb's quarter, crabgrass, barnyard grass, goosegrass. When the yellow forsythia is in bloom, which is not in bloom yet, but it's going to be blooming, you know, not necessarily next week. But if you're planning on putting a pre emergent down, go to your favorite garden center and get the pre emergent, and that way you can watch and monitor. And if you go, well, I don't know what a forsythia is or I, there's no forsythia in my neighborhood or anything else. Well, you can get a soil thermometer. They're not really that expensive. And when their soil temperature is above 50 degrees a couple days in a row, that's when you would be putting the pre-emergent down. So you don't have to wait for something like a forsythia to bloom. You can actually do it scientifically by monitoring the uh the soil temperature with just getting a thermometer and they're not really all that expensive or anything else. So that might be the best way to do it. So let's head now over to Don's yard. Hi, Don.
10: Morning, Mike. We appreciate all you do. Mm -hmm. Uh, Just have a question on the subject of amaryllis. Any advice? Uh, I just pulled one out. That's uh, probably four years old and this is the fourth time around and, uh, put a little water on her and uh, she's just uh, an inch a day um, <laughs> So is any any advice anything I should be doing
4: uh, basically don't put it into an extra large pot and so when you're saying it's it's a foliage it's already finished flowering so now it's just growing foliage.
10: No it's just starting to grow foliage
4: okay so did if so you haven't had any flowers yet? Mm-mm. Oh, so as far as this year's goes, but I mean, I guess you've had flower in the past. Usually, oh, yeah, every year. Yeah, so what usually happens is you want to just you know let the foliage go, and then sometime around August or so, you want to cut all the foliage off and then let it go totally dormant in the darkness. So no water, no fertilizer, no nothing. Now, when the foliage is coming out like right now, you could certainly do some fertilizing if you want, but again, let the leaves grow and grow and grow until we get to August, early September, and then you cut them off to about two, you know, one to two oh, inches. Oh, so there
10: won't be any flower this spring?
4: No, there won't. There's sh- now, of course, the, the thing could be out of cycle and everything else, but usually they're going to flower in the you know in the winter time. That's why we cut the foliage off at the time of year we do. Ah, uh, okay. So that's okay. So that well, sort of triggers a process.
10: Okay. Well, um, I'm just going to watch. Watch and wait. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds good. And let me thanks know if so they much.
4: do. Yeah, if it flowers out of cycle, then that's great. Then you get to enjoy it at a time of year when, uh, you know, not to, you wouldn't expect it.
10: Right. Thanks a bunch. We sure. really enjoy your show every Saturday morning. Well,
4: thank you for having me on your show. As you know, it's yours, not mine. If you weren't there, I wouldn't be here. So thanks, Don. And or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages.
3: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis
4: KMOX. Yes, we're heading over to Jerry's yard. Jerry, how are you today?
7: Um, last year we put several trees in our property, planted them. Um, the, one of them is a Colorado blue spruce. It's about eight feet tall. Ooh. And uh, well, most of them are. We had them all put in. We didn't do it ourselves. Okay. That's too much work.
4: Yeah. <laughs> I mean, They're pretty darn heavy. If that's that. Yes.
7: Big. <laughs> yes.
4: Anyway, um,
7: the very top of this tree, about a foot or so, is growing at about a 45 degree angle maybe not quite that much and i'm just wondering what can we do about that could we cut it off and and let it grow regrow or or just leave it and hope it straightens out but uh, it's it's the only one that's doing this
4: and they're they're all spruces though just,
7: most of them yes
4: okay so i wonder if this has some damage but if are the needles still good color and everything else Oh yeah
7: yeah it's it's it uh, seems to be very
10: healthy
4: Okay I would just I would leave the needles in particular because this is a recently installed plant so whether it's leaves or whether it's needles or anything else that's what helps the plant get established So maybe <clears throat> a couple years from now if it still hasn't uprighted itself and grow in the direction you want to. You could do the pruning at that time. But for uh, like I said, for a couple years, the needles, the foliage, whatever it happens to be, is what takes nutrients and moisture and everything from the soil up through the vascular system, through the root system, and then uses sun to make it so it can make food to make the plant establish its root system and establish the plant material just in general. So just leave it alone for a couple years.
7: Oh, Okay. And if, say, we have to trim it in a couple of years, what's the best time of the year to do that?
4: Probably going into wintertime, let's say, uh, after Thanksgiving and before any kind of, let's say, the weather starts warming up. So let's say from Thanksgiving till uh, Valentine's Day.
7: Great. Well, I appreciate all the info, Mike. Thank you.
4: Sure. My pleasure. And now let's go to uh, Carolyn's yard. Hi, Carolyn.
3: Hi Mike. Uh, Thanks for
4: taking my call. Um, I think we have a problem
3: with aphids. Um, It started before Christmas when I saw on my poinsettia that I had rebloomed, had them and I used neem oil and all of the leaves dried up and fell off. Um, Then I also saw what I thought again were aphids on my uh, herbs. So, I switched to an insecticidal soap and all the leaves curled up. So, on my last attempt, I made a solution of Castile soap and I'm just, I feel like the bugs might be gone, but the leaves are still curling. And then I've recently saw the, uh, again, what I think are aphids on a different herb. And I guess, do I throw everything away or do you have some thoughts?
4: Uh so what what color are these bugs that you're seeing?
3: Uh, well, they're at the base, so like where the new growth comes out and they're like a grayish, real tiny clusters, and they look like um, dirt or and there's kind of they're not really slimy, but they're just really uh, compact little things if you look under look at them with a magnifying glass.
4: okay. Because, I mean, aphids really don't impact herbs. They, they the Herbs just have a natural repellent, and you're just not necessarily going to find aphids there. So I don't understand. I don't see exactly how, you know, from your description or anything else, what this could be. But what you could do is if they're down near the soil, you could just do a soil drench with, like, an insecticidal soap. So whatever okay. this problem is, but it— usually herbs are usually pretty insect free. There's not too many things that go after them. So yeah. that's really kind of a surprise.
3: Okay. Well, I'll um, try that because it's on my parsley and as well as the um, thyme. So I don't know what it is, but I'm just stressed because I'm. I've seen that people sometimes put those little sticky pads around the house, but I'm not sure if those are really effective. If I can't, actually get rid of
4: whatever I have. Right. So hopefully you can get it, you know, get it taken care of with a soil drench. But that just, aphids are up on the stems and leaves and everything else, but they just don't do herbs. I mean, there's nothing there that, uh, you know, is attractive to them. Okay. Well, I appreciate your help. Sure. And maybe just go on, you know, go to the Missouri Botanical Garden website and check out, you know, insect problems on plant material and see if you can identify it more so than just being an aphid. So I'll do that. Thanks you know, again. So Mobot.org. And uh with Dixie and B, we're not gonna be able to get you in before we go to the break. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after the news.
3: Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis
0: KMOX.
4: Tip of the trial hour? Yes, that is this hour. I'll be giving the tip of the trial shortly, but right now you can give a call 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments, and Pam and Dixie will be getting to you first after we come Back to taking some calls. And, Brian. Yes. I mean, with it so cold, what kind of heater do you have for your home?
5: For the home, we have a heat
4: pump. A heat pump?
5: Yes. And it's been running quite a bit. Wow. Yeah. Yeah.
4: Nice and warm and everything?
5: It's not bad. It gets a little chilly, especially like late afternoon. We usually have to bump it up a degree or two. But, you know, Sue has it made. You know, I get up early and we have it turned down for the overnight, right? Right. So I get up, and it's cold. And, and I go out, and the first thing I do is turn on the furnace so when she gets up, it's nice and warm. Uh, I I think I'm getting the raw deal on that. Right. You're yeah. spoiling her. I <laughs> Well, that's my job, you know. You that's know. very but, true. But, yeah, it's like, hey, it's chilly out here, and I'll, I'll go turn it up. Don't worry. It's all good.
4: Yeah, <laughs> so, I mean, it's, you know, the thing with our house, you know, the thermostat is right in the center, of the mm-hmm. heart of the house. Same here. Of course, then the perimeters, you like kind of cool. Yeah, but it's nice and warm in the heart of the house. But ours know.
5: is ours is different because of where the furnace is. It's the bedroom and the back bathroom, the master bath, I guess we call it. It's uh-huh. not really, but and and that's pretty warm. But the living room is pretty chilly because it's a little more open. So uh-huh. it's kind of the opposite. Yes. And we have a fireplace, but I haven't used it in so long. I can't open the damper, so I better not use that. Right. <laughs> and that then, of course, a with a fireplace, it gets cold at night when the fire goes out.
4: Right. So I don't know what I'm going to do. So hopefully winter will be over.
5: Not, I count the days. I keep thinking we'll only have another about month and a half till March, and then right. we're, we're getting there. We're All getting right. there. That's right.
4: Well, thanks, Brian. And thanks to you folks for having me on your show. We can discuss plant selection, caring for, ups and downs, and all around of annuals. Heading to the garden center, uh, they probably don't have any pansies yet, but uh, maybe th- want a, a little bit of color right now. They might have some paper white narcissus or some hyacinth hyacinth bulbs that you can f- easily force and have some flowers within a couple weeks. And uh, edibles. You can start, let's say you're just desperate. You look out the window right now and uh, it looks kind of brown and boring and horrible. I mean, you can get some packs of just lettuce seeds and things like that and not necessarily grow them because you're going to plant them outside, but just put them in a pot and just watch the seeds germinate and just watch them grow. And then you could just you know kind of throw them away later on or whatever you choose to do. Your ground covers, how are they doing? Hopefully uh, not buried in a bunch of leaves. Your houseplants, your lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take towards success. There's lots of different ways. But uh, it's I'm offering them to you, and you make the decision. Across the big board is James. He's producing today, so when you call, he will get your first name and get you onto the computer, and then I will talk to you in the order that people call. During the week, I spend my time and weekends, too, uh, doing walk-and-talks. That's a landscape consultation. And if you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk-and-talk, you can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. On the homepage, that's where my email address and phone number is, where I can be contacted. Tip of the trials is a special recognition for individual group or situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Tip of the trial today goes to the St. Louis Fire Department. One of the firemen got killed while fighting a fire in an abandoned building. They were uh, burying him, I guess it was Thursday, and uh, we were out in that part of town off McKenzie, and uh, the fire trucks and everything were there. They had the road closed down, but the poor, you know, I forget what the gentleman's name was. But the fire, fire, firefighters that go into the homes and fight all these crazy fires and everything else—it's—it's it's just really tragic. So a tip of the trial goes out to the St. Louis Fire Department, of course, the police and other things. Many other people work in dangerous situations as well. But uh, this just kind of caught my, caught our eye because we happened to be right there as the fire trucks were leaving the cemetery after the gentleman's, uh, the firefighter's funeral. So uh, it's just a tragic circumstance. But anyway, so St. Louis Fire Department, tip of the trial goes out to you. If you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's go now to Dixie's yard. Hi, Dixie.
11: Good morning, Mike. Hi. I'm... I'm, hi, I'm calling about my evergreens. They're about two years old, maybe six or seven foot tall, and around about a third of the bottom half is all dry where it's dyed. So I'm wondering, do I need to water those even at this time of the year since we haven't had much water?
4: Well, the dryness is not necessarily as a result of you know, moisture in the soil it may be a result of planting them too deep or other factors as well. But if all of them you bought at the same time were planted.
11: Right. And they're all doing the same thing. Yeah. And I had the nursery people, you know, come out and
4: plant them. Right. So hopefully they did it correctly. But uh, once if any kind of evergreen. Now, are these needled evergreens or are these broadleaf evergreens? Are they like holly? Um,
11: no, they're not holly. They're um, they're like green giant, only little ones.
4: <laughs> okay. <laughs> so Arbor So once they turn Arborvitae, brown, that's it. Yeah. So yeah. once they turn brown, there's nothing that can be done as a result of that. I mean, it's not, and not. I mean, those that area is going to always be naked and bare. So just realize that. So if you cut off the brownness. Nothing's going to come out in that spot to help, you know, fill that in. So just understand that that's the circumstance. Okay, I'll just
11: leave them. I yeah. guess my question is, you know, I didn't water them that much. Um should I?
4: Not necessarily. I mean, we we did have a dry spell and a you know, there was a gentleman who called like a couple weeks in a row. He had had some I think it was white pines that were planted And I told him because they had just been planted a couple weeks prior to when he made his first call to, you know, he was going to have to take buckets of water out and pour it onto the, you know, onto the root ball. Right. I heard that. And that's because they were just recently planted. These, you said, had been planted a couple years ago? Yes, two years ago. Yeah, so they... uh, I mean, the moisture circumstance, it might have, you know, helped some. But usually with an evergreen, if it starts browning from the bottom up, that's related to, you know, not being planted properly. And if the nursery did it, I'm not saying they didn't plant them properly or sure. there's something else wrong with it. and especially since all of them are doing the same thing. That's really strange.
11: Yes. Yeah, it's all three of them.
4: <laughs> right. So I would call it... So- the nursery may have a guarantee. I'd have them, you know, call them and have them come they out did. and take a look. They did. It was
11: a year. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> oh, yeah. However, I've had another bush planted back in um, November. Now, should I be watering that?
4: Uh, wouldn't, you know, if it's... If it was it's, a
11: small viburnum.
4: Yeah. Uh, evergreen or deciduous?
11: Uh, deciduous
4: yeah I probably wouldn't worry so much about the deciduous stuff it's really the evergreen stuff that's more of a concern
11: okay so I'm just you know stuck and they right. just look awful
4: huh right exactly okay so unfortunately. All right
11: then well <laughs> uh, what you, so this time of the year you shouldn't be watering anything anyway huh I mean your normal stuffs just because it's been dry
4: Well, there's nothing wrong with watering. I mean, people say, well, that water could freeze in the ground, but really, I mean, moisture freezing in the ground is not really all that detrimental to the plant material. It's going to be probably better that you have water around the root system as opposed to just air pockets. So in other words, water will help fill in the space where the air pocket, that cold air with no kind of insulation, water or soil Mm -hmm. or anything else, could damage actually the root system more so than not watering.
11: Okay. So since my evergreens already have all this brown on it, a third of the bottom, um, it wouldn't do any good to water?
4: No, you could water. But, uh, again, if, you know, a lot of times it could be related to this spot where they're planted, maybe, you know, and maybe it's wet, maybe it's because that's, you know, one of the factors that can turn evergreens, you know, brown is too much moisture water. Okay. So if it's at the bottom of the hill or at a low spot or something like that, and that's Mm -hmm. why I was talking about, you know, who planted and how they were planted.
11: Right. Okay. Well, okay. I'll give them another year. See what they do.
4: Okay. (laughs) Good luck. Well, thank you, Mike. (laughs) Sure. And let's go ahead and uh, want to take a break or should we take Pam? Let's take us. Pam, will talk to you right after we come out of break. So, Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120.
1: Serving St. Louis for over 96 years.
4: KMOX. Yes, back to the phones we go, and let's head over to Tony's yard. No, Pam. Pam, how are you today? I'm
0: doing
3: great, Mike. How are you? Very good. Good. First, I want to thank you for recognizing the firefighters of St. Louis. That's, that's really great that you uh, highlighted them. Uh, I have a possible answer for the lady with the worms and the Swiss chard. I think what she was referring to was called diatomaceous earth. Um, and it's made from diatoms in the ocean, so it's perfectly safe to even ingest. But you can sprinkle that on your um, whatever plants you have, and um, it literally pokes holes in the little worms' bodies. Um, and you can sprinkle it every every time you have a rain,
4: and then when you're ready to eat the food, just wash it off, and you're fine. Oh, that sounds great. Yeah, I did. You know, that's a good idea. Yeah, so that's called diatomaceous earth, and right. I think that's
3: what he was referring to. And it's a white powder; it looks just like flour. Right.
4: Exactly. So I didn't. Okay, even, well, uh, thanks, Mike. Yep, thanks for calling and adding that to it because that's really important. And now let's head over to Tony's yard. Hi, Tony.
12: Morning, Mike. Love your show. Question: My daughter and her husband have built a new home. It's new construction, and the question is regarding sod. Do you recommend putting sod down now this time of the year in winter, or waiting until say March when the ground is? Uh, Sod and you don't have this variation in temperature appreciate your advice
4: sure basically you're not going to find any sod available i wouldn't think because the sod farms are not going to be cutting it when it's this cold but uh i would say and for the you know for the i would say wait until the ground starts warming up a little bit at least uh probably you know no way to know as far as a calendar goes but probably start watching your garden centers and um, maybe mid to late March, that's probably when the sod will start showing up. Now, do they have an idea which sod they're going to use? Are they, are they going to use like a fescue, a bluegrass, or a zoiza?
12: Yeah, I think it's going to be a, probably a tall fescue.
4: Okay. Yeah, that's probably the toughest one. And just make sure that they've got this—now, they can't do it right now, but don't just lay the sod down on newly constructed soil because that soil is probably subsoil and it's going to be really disastrous as far as the sod being able to, you know, to be able to get its root system down in there and to be able to acclimate and be able to, you know, survive this okay. circumstance.
12: So, do you recommend putting another layer of uh, some kind of soil on top of that or just rough it up?
4: Well, you could rough it up, but probably what I would do is get like a, a mixture of a topsoil compost blend or mix in compost a couple inches, you know, a couple inches, lay it on top of it and blend it in with the existing soil. And that would probably uh-huh. be the best, you know. And it also make sure that whoever does this, watches you know f- as far as water flow and things like that so we don't force water back towards the house or something along that line
12: okay well well the contractors doing all this so that's uh okay. something that I mentioned to them for sure
4: but yeah improving yeah. this soil before you would lay some sod down because this new construction soil is not going to the sod's not going to be able to survive
12: okay and all right well i'll pass that along to them
4: great well thanks tony yeah, and not only – let's say they decided to do seed. Seed won't survive either. The only thing that really can survive in these kind of circumstances is going to be weeds. So they'll have a, a basically a weed farm. But anyway, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. We've got phone lines open, so you can certainly give us a call. And, uh, you know, this. We haven't really had any of the heavy-duty snows or anything where we've had it build up on, our, you know, shrubs and things like that. But just be really careful if we do get a snow, we still have an opportunity where the winter's not over and we may still have a snow. And uh, if you, if they're on, hanging on the branches, the snow is, just be real cautious on knocking the snow off. Brush it off real gently because it could do some real major damage if you start just put, you know, you could cause some cracking of that kind of thing. So just be real super cautious of the, you know, of that if you've got to go out and do it, a lot of what I do is I just let it just melt on its own. So even if it looks like it's bending, causing the branches to bend way over, there's pretty good flexibility in most of them. And so just kind of keep that in mind before you do anything. And, uh, as far as knocking snow off. And I don't even know if we're going to have any snow this year other than just, you know, being cold. And what you could do also is if you do have any, let's say, forsythia, pussy willow, crabapple, quince, or other, you know, early flowering shrubs, you can take some cuttings from those and bring them inside and put the cuttings in warm water. And then you're going to have probably in about 14 days or maybe maybe three weeks, may, shouldn't be that long, but 14 to 21 days, they'll be in flowers. So you're going to have a nice preview of the spring. So just understand that that's one of the things you could do. If you do have spring flowering shrubs or trees in your landscape, bring them indoors. That's, you know, that's a real nice plus. So just understand that. Let's head over to Susie's yard. Hi, Susie. Hi
11: there, Mike. Thanks for taking my call. Sure. Um, we have uh, a, a planting bed that ha- is edged with a lot of liriope. And forgive me for not knowing the botanical name. I don't know. It's not the clumping type. It's the spreading type. Right. And I've noticed <clears throat> the last few summers, and this is, this planting goes back probably about 20 years. So um, and it, it's quite extensive, actually. I've noticed grass coming up through. Does that mean the plants are dying out and should we like take it out and start over?
4: You don't necessarily have to take it out, but yeah, if you have grass coming up in it, that means it's the density because of the age, you know, has allowed there to be some gaps in there. And the unfortunate uh-huh. thing is because Liriope has a blade like grass, you can't use a grass killer. Because it will affect your liriope as well. If this was a ground cover that was a broadleaf ground cover, then you could spray a grass killer in there, like if it was ivy or periwinkle or something like that. But uh, yeah, in your circumstance, there's not too much you can do. If you if there's like you know kind of big cl- or the, if there's clumps of the individual, let's say grass within the liriope. You could go out there and, you know, paint roundup on the grass part if you wanted to try to get it under control that way. But the spots okay. that are, you know, it came up in that those spots need to be replanted. And the okay. Liriope is the, the spreading one is Liriope spicata, S P I C A T A, as opposed okay. to Liriope muscari and that's a clump growing one.
1: Okay.
11: Okay. All right. Well, we will try that this spring then. Thank you for
4: your time. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it's unfortunate that, you know, this situation, but I mean, even aging and everything else, it's plant material has a, a let's say, a limited life, put it that way. But uh, Mike Miller, K, Garden Hotline, 314 436 7900 or 1 800 925 1120. We have phone lines open if you have any questions, concerns, or comments. Sunday, the Billikens men's team are in
1: action and say take on UMass. Hear the game here. Pre-game 115. Tip-off 130. On your home for Billikens basketball, KMOX.
4: Don't know if you were listening to the show or whatever, but, uh, you know, I was talking about watering, plant material and things along that line. I grow daffodils and tulips and things like that in pots. And I do through the winter time have water that uh, you know I bring in from the or take out from the inside and I do water my pots when we have excessive periods where there really hasn't been much moisture. So now the pots are I mean they're more or less frozen, you know, with the potting mix and everything else, but it really shouldn't have an adverse effect on the on the bulbs. Now sometimes some winters I'm not saying it's just the water. Sometimes it's just the water plus the temperatures that I've, you know, my bulbs have not done well in the pots. But I've been doing it for 25 years or so. And success-wise, I can't say it's been 100% by any means, but uh, I've had been really happy with it. And I like growing them in pots for the mobility and everything else. But uh, craziness. Anyway, hi, Joan. How are you today? Pretty good. Pretty good. Go ahead.
0: Uh, well, I had a question about orchid. Somebody gave me an orchid about seven years ago, and uh, it, blew, it had beautiful blooms on it. But now it hasn't bloomed at all, and I've been watering it all the time with four ice cubes uh, every every weekend. And uh, what would you suggest I do to get
4: a bloom on it? Do um, I but, need plant food? Uh, yes, yes. And get food specifically for orchids. Go to your favorite garden center and tell me you want some orchid food. Don't just use regular fertilizer. And also, is it in a bright window? Yes. Okay, so it's in a bright window, and you, you're keeping the humidity up. And Is it growing in bark, or is it growing in a, like a potting soil? A potting soil. Okay, so that's a little bit different. So, But anyway, so uh, what you should... Four
0: blooms sh- on it. But they take forever to open
4: up. Oh yeah, they do. I mean, it's as long as you say, as long as you've had some blooming, then. Uh, but yeah, get some fertilizer on it because I'm assuming it's still in the original potting, you know, soil that it came in. No, I put it in different potting soil. Oh, did you bigger pot? Okay. Well, that definitely uh, in the future don't put it any into a any bigger pot than what it currently is. They like to be pot-bound. That helps them you know, kind of to trigger the uh, bloom cycle. But def-
0: it, it seems like they like to have their roots above ground.
4: Some of them do, yes, definitely. It there, does. there are aerial roots, and uh, you know, if this is one that is growing in soil, usually they're not going to have a huge amount of aerial roots like the ones that grow in bark have a massive amount of aerial roots. But anyway... Yeah. So, consequently, just get the fertilizer and, you know, follow the label as far as fertilizing. Only what I would probably do is maybe fertilize a little bit more frequently, but only half the label rate. Do you
0: think the plant food will
4: be adequate to the young plant food? Yes. Regular plant food or orchid food?
0: Well, just regular plant food.
4: Uh... The other one darker
0: food would be better.
4: Yeah, I do. I think it's been formulated specifically for you know that kind of circumstance. So yeah, I would well, say it has
0: four buds on it, and I and I have a feeling it'll be somewhere before they, it starts blooming.
4: <laughs> <laughs> Maybe not that long.
0: <laughs> well, it's this, this taking forever. Today. They got four buds on it, but it, they're getting bigger and everything. So well, that's uh, great. hopefully, it will be blooming pretty soon.
4: Yes, right. And, well, thank uh, th- you very much. Yes, this is the time of year for it. This is the time of year, uh, you know, and anybody that has any kind of house plants that are, you know, forming flower buds or flowers are opening up, this is the time to fertilize it. And if they're not fertilizing, don't necessarily f- f- thinking that fertilizing is going to make them flower. So the fertilizing is to help, but it can't necessarily force something to happen. So thanks, Joan. And now let's head over to Terry's yard. Hi, Terry. Hi, Mike. Um, I adopted a little 11-pound puppy
11: during the pandemic, and she's grown to over 65 pounds now with tons of energy. And she has torn up my backyard. I mean, it's now a muddy mess, which is fine now. It's frozen. But can I put something down on top of that mud, maybe straw or something? Because it's going to get to be 53 degrees again. and I don't want to deal with all that mud.
4: (laughs) Well, to be honest with you, a dog of that size, the straw—unless you just put like bales of straw, she's gonna she's gonna pile pound it down, and it's just gonna be muddy again. So there's really so, not, not too much you can do. Not, I just have to deal with the mud. Right, exactly. So as soon as she comes in, you know, stop her right at the back door, and you know, wash her feet off, and that's about. Right, all. but I just want—I mean, like, I won't have a lawn next summer. <laughs> no, you won't. To be honest with you, I mean there's you know plenty of yards I walk by where the dogs run along a fence or something and then the yeah. people right across the street from us they've got two dogs in their backyard and they don't have they don't, don't even have hardly any weeds because of yeah. the dogs. Okay. I mean that shows you how tough you know things yeah. are. Well, on the plus side she has dug up a few wor- uh moles so <laughs> well, good great. For her. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That
11: takes the bitter with the better. yeah
4: exactly. <laughs> okay. All right. Thank you. Yeah, that's an unfortunate thing, but it's just a soil compaction. There's not too much you can do about it. And then also related to dogs just in general, dogs' urine, you know, people always thought it was the alkalinity of the urine. That's what caused spots in the grass and things along this line. But in reality, dogs' urine has a high nitrogen level, and that's what burns, you know, holes in lawns. So, I mean, it's just having dogs is great fun, but uh, I mean, it's just part of the whole deal. So, anyway, good luck with that, Terry. And let's go now to Diane's. Hi, Diane.
13: Hi, Mike. Thank you for taking
4: my call, first of all. Um, I
13: fertilize twice in the fall and once in the spring, and I've been using malargonite, and I wanted your opinion of that fertilizer.
4: It's, yeah, I mean, it's organic. The nutrient level is not fantastic, but a lot of people, you know, I mean, that's all they use. So, what kind of lawn do you have? Um, mostly fescue, some bluegrass. Okay. I mean,
13: my my yard. I mean, I um, overseed in the spring and the fall, both, and I have a really thick stand of grass. But I just, uh, I just wanted your opinion on dyes next. Just I used to use that, like the last fertilize in the fall. Mm-hmm. And it would be green all winter, actually. But, um, and I used, oh, God, I can't remember the numbers uh, Other, the, otherwise. But uh, the last year, I've just stuck totally with malarganite, and I just wanted to know if that was a good thing to do.
4: There's nothing wrong with that. But what I would do is if you've been doing this consistently for a couple of years, even though your lawn is healthy, I'd get a soil test done and find out what the nutrient level is in your soil, just so, if you might have to make some kind of modification, not that the milorganite is going to you know, need to be changed, but you might have to add something else that would help the overall long you know long term success of having a good lawn. What
13: do you think the milorganite would be lacking? Uh,
4: some of the micronutrients.
13: Okay. Okay. Well, maybe I should go back to my old way and mix it up.
4: Well, you don't need to. I'm not saying. A soil test will just give you some insight on what's, you know, what's there. So it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to change anything or anything else. It's just if you've been doing something for, it's kind of like going to a doctor. Even if you're not feeling bad or anything, just, uh, you know, going to have a physical or going to have an examination by a doctor. This is what a soil test is. It's getting an examination and you're just finding out you have a great lawn. It looks good. You're very happy with it. But find just find out what there's what there is going on. Okay, I'll do that. Great, thanks, Diane. Thank you. And now let's head over to John's yard. Hi, John. Hey, John. How are Hi. you?
6: All right. Good morning. good morning. How you doing? Very good. Hey, uh, those dogs. It's mostly female dogs, by the way. <laughs> and they they do sell products. Um, uh, my wife and I, I own a franchise, Pet Supplies Plus, in Baldwin, and you can get that. and And now there are uh, liquid; you could put it in water to stop that. Right. But that's not the purpose of my call, Mike. Uh, another recommendation is an app called Picture This, and um, it, it if it, it will, if you put it up to any plant or anything, it will identify the plant or the weed. So probably useful to all the listeners. Yeah. Uh, it also gives recommendations on house plants, landscaping, garden plant uh, care, and um, all sorts of things, bird identifications. And there's a nominal fee for that. It's like 30 bucks a year or something.
4: That's pretty cheap. But I
6: just passed. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and my wife and I use this, and it's spot on. It's great. So I just passed that along. Great. Picture this.
4: Picture this. All right. Thanks, got- John. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I've I'm not used it. I don't know it myself, but uh, there's certainly, I don't know every plant that's out there. Sometimes I see things, I go, hmm, wonder what this is. But, anyway, thanks, John. And let's go to another John's yard. Hi, John.
12: How are we doing? Good. I was calling to the lady talking about yard compaction. Uh, I'm in the industry, and what I've done before for people's yards is put down mulch for the dog's room. So, so how
4: the mulch.
9: Yeah, I I'm mean, the dog on a fence
12: line. It keeps the mud down and it also provides some kind of organic material and cushion for the ground a little bit. Yeah,
4: that would but certainly I've actually,
12: help. I've actually gotten grass to grow back just because it's composted material, you know, and eventually the grass grew there. I'm like, well. It's wow. Composting and it softens the ground. And keeps mud out of the house. <laughs>
4: That's, I mean, that's the whole idea. Now, what kind of mulch are you talking about? Because, I mean, mulch, there's all kinds of different types of mulch, as you know, as I talk about St. Louis composting, and the actual size of the pieces of mulch are going to be very different on each one.
10: I usually use a
12: larger uh, shred mulch just because it doesn't get in the house as much. And it actually does break down, so it does the same thing. But it's got the little bitty stuff that still sticks to the paws or shoes and whatnot.
4: Okay, great. Well, thanks. Thanks for the insight. So that's certainly a good idea. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
3: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
4: Let's head over to Linda's yard. Linda, how are you today?
8: I thought of another question. My friend uh, catches rainwater, you know, coming off the roof, mm-hmm. Plants uh, waters her houseplants with that. But I have a question. As I was watering my orchids this morning, the ones getting ready or uh, setting up a bloom stock, do you think that that would be detrimental to the orchids to water with that
4: water? The only thing I have concern with the rainwater coming off roofs and I mean, plenty of people do it. Plenty of people have had great success with it, and everything else is roofing shingles. You know, kind of have that that sandy stuff that can come off a little bit, and so. But I don't think that would have an adverse effect. It would just be something that uh, you know to to think about just in general. It's not. It doesn't have any kind of let's say chemical qualities. But, uh, yeah, you sh- I mean, it should be okay, but uh, you could just use distilled water if you wanted to, or you could just use, you know, I have a couple orchids myself. I've been growing them, you know, some of them for a long time, and I just use tap water, to be honest.
8: Okay. Yeah, I'm a little concerned because there there is, you know, you can see things floating around in that water. Right. Yeah, it's big milk jugs, so, yeah, you can see stuff floating around. So I'm a little concerned about that. Okay, well, I'll just use tap water, and um, I had asked you before now about watering them, you know, with the, have orchid food, orchid plus. Right. You think that should be with the bloom stock coming up? I've never, this is my first foray into growing orchids at all, so with the bloom stock coming up, should I just, how often should I have the fat food in the water?
4: Uh, basically. I water just,
8: them once a week. Yeah. Like I, on a Saturday watering day, so. You had said last time, don't water with um, food every week. Right. What about when it's sending up a bloom stalk?
4: Yeah, probably. I would read the label, depending upon what the analysis of of that particular orchid food that you have, and see what they say in relationship to how often you should fertilize. Use it. Yeah. All right. Okay. Thanks, Mike. My pleasure. And again, always with fertilizers, personally, I always just, whatever the label says, I always tell people, always read the label. And then I go, I read the label, but then I just do about half of what they say to do, but I do it twice as often. So that's just, you know, my system. I'm not saying everybody should go along with me. It's just like the beginning of the show when I say just because I say to do it doesn't necessarily mean it's the only garden path, or or only orchid path to take. So now let's go over to Claude's. Claude, how are you?
1: Hi, Mike. Good morning. Good morning. Thanks thanks a lot for joining me on our show. Sure. And my question is about uh, Nellie Stevens holly trees that I planted originally in 2020 fall, and they were doing really good until the winter, and then I lost through after the winter and the provider told me that they probably got freeze like wind burned or free a little freeze damage so this year i replanted eight of them in the spring and they're doing really good right now but i went ahead by their suggestion and covered them with during this real cold windy spell we've had my, my question is, how how long can I keep that burlap on there?
4: I, I mean, minimize that. I mean, it does help. But to be honest with you, the Nellie Stevens hollies are not really great varieties for this region because of the fluctuations in our weather. So the burlap would certainly help. But there's going to be other factors, even in the summertime, that are going to be a little bit detrimental to them. So even though the garden centers carry them, and there can be some really successful ones, I just, overall, I don't think they're a great holly variety for this region. I
1: see. So is there anything in particular I need to watch for during the summer then?
4: Uh, Basically just... yeah, nothing and nothing at all. If you start to see a lot of leaf drop, if it's in the interior leaves, then don't worry about it. If it's the exterior leaves, or just watch, for, just watch for the you know, are they in the sun or are they in the shade?
1: They're in the sun.
4: Okay, so just watch for potential sunburn on them and on the leaf and things like that that would look like kind of like spots, and just watch wow. for that type stuff.
1: Okay, we'll do. Thank you, sir. Sure, you have a great show.
4: Well, thank you, and thanks for having me on your show. And Scott, could you kind of do it quickly?
9: Well, I just I got a soil test last fall, and I'm looking at the paper here, and it's a little confusing, just to what they're recommending. So I just wondered if you had any, if I could give you a couple numbers, and you had some recommendations. Sure. Um, they said that everything is high, uh, phosphorus, potassium, calcium, magnesium; those are all medium to high. To almost phosphorus was very high. So those numbers on fertilizer, what those numbers? Are
4: basically on a bag of fertilizer, there's three main numbers on the fertilizer. The first one's nitrogen, phosphorus and potassium are the next two. So those, you know, in this situation you want to make sure that you could get something like a fifteen three three or fifteen zero zero or something along that line. So because of phosphorus and potassium levels, if they get extreme, they could be detrimental to the plant material rather than being a beneficial.
9: Okay, the phosphorus is almost very high, okay. borderline very high. Yeah, so. so
4: watch out.
9: So high first number then?
4: No, high first number, or highest first number, and the other two as low as you can possibly find. Okay, all right, great, thank you. Sure, my pleasure. And, yeah, that's one, see that? I mean, that's one of the things. And especially if you've been doing, you know, fertilizing with the same type of fertilizer year after year after year after year, you can get extreme levels, and that's when it becomes detrimental. So watch out for that. That is a, the great advantage of uh, getting a soil test done. Now that's now Scott will know not to buy a fertilizer, let's say like a triple 12 or a triple 15 or something along that line, where the last two numbers are too high, and it's just going to be bad for his plant material. So thanks, Scott. Thanks to everybody for calling. I greatly appreciate it. And thanks for having me on your show. And just uh, let's get rid of this cold weather. (laughs) Go out there and breathe. Mike Miller, KMW's Garden Hotline. See you next week. This episode
2: is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what?